0: Police calling all cars Attention all cars broadcast 18 A fire At 1517 East 1st Street Damage 147,000 dollars the fire department suspects a pyromaniac. All cars will cooperate with the arson bureau. Go we'll get him, boys. That's all. Rose we'll you, The perfect performance of police cars fire engines ambulances and motorcycles is vital to public safety in southern california and arizona more of this equipment depends on rio grande cracked gasoline than all other brands combined this is the same gasoline that you can buy at any rio grande service station at the price of ordinary non-premium gasoline rio grande cracked was one of the first gasolines to be offered the public containing ethyl at no additional cost. Since then, many other companies have been forced to follow suit. The word cracking is the name of a scientific process designed to give you a more powerful and more economical fuel. Rio Grande forces the crude oil into enormous spills, 100 feet high. And under terrific heat and pressure, the gasoline fractions are cracked into millions of atoms. This process is repeated again and again until the final product, the Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline you buy from your neighborhood dealer, is so concentrated that every drop is vital power. When you fill up with Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline with tetraethyl, you are getting a product that is abreast of the time. Guaranteed to deliver to you motor power, speed, and dependability at no extra cost a tank tomorrow. Once more it is our pleasure to introduce Chief James D. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever stopped to think in the quiet of your home after putting down your newspaper? from reading the daily routine of news concerning fires and crimes against persons and property what would happen if you had no police and fire departments that is a thought with which to test your imagination particularly in these days when economic stress has tremendously increased the burden of these two indispensable functions of government the protectors of your home your property, and the lives of your family and yourself, the police and fire departments. The story we have to tell you tonight deals with the strange and little-known insanity of pyromaniacs, unfortunates whose peculiar brain quirks caused them to set fire to people's property just to see the sparks fly, and to see great flames leap heavenward in their mad desire to satiate their peculiar longings. Our arson squad, which works conjointly with the fire department, is constantly working on cases involving this strange mania. It is perhaps the most difficult type of detective work done by this squad because the persons who set fire for a profit or revenge do so deliberately, leaving many clues to their identity. The pyromaniac, on the other hand, has the cunning of madness and covers his criminal fire setting so carefully that only detectives trained in the investigation of arson cases is capable of tracking him down. I have chosen tonight's story to give the citizens of Los Angeles a vivid picture of how difficult it is to discover the operations of a pyromaniac. This story is a true one, and the characters in it are actual persons. And now, Frederick Lindsley will go on with the story. (laughs) In dramatization, we shall review the case of a Los Angeles pyromaniac, or firebug, whose lust for excitement destroyed $147,000 worth of property in a few days. It is September of 1924. Thomas McGee, a high official of the Southern California Edison Company, brings a young man of pleasant appearance to his home. He leaves the boy a moment as he goes to greet his wife. Oh, Tom, you're home early this evening. Hello, my dear. Well, I have a little surprise for you. Surprise? What is it? I've engaged a chauffeur for you. I think he's just the man we've been looking for. He's cultured and educated, and he's a handsome devil, too. Oh, where is he? He's down in the living room. So, shall I have him come up? Well, I'll send Marie. Marie? Mm-hmm. There's a young man waiting in the living room. Will you show him up
1: here?
0: Mm-hmm. Colorful background, this chap has, too. He's the eldest son of the flying spinhoods.
1: The Flying
0: (laughs) Spinoza? Well, I can see that name doesn't register with you as it does with me. You know, my dear, when I was a boy, the Flying Spinozas were my idols. Big-time trapeze artists. There just wasn't a first-rate circus without the Flying Spinoza. Oh, I see. Uh, Doris, this is Ed Spinoza. Ed, this is Mrs. McGee. How do you do, Edward? How do you do, Mrs. McGee? I understand you're to be my driver. Yes, madam. Well, I hope you're careful, Edward i become very nervous with reckless driving. Oh, I'll be careful Mrs. you, I'll do my best to please you. Oh, I'm certain you'll succeed. And for a while, it seemed that Ed would succeed. He was diligent and courteous and performed his duties smoothly and unobtrusively. Some weeks later, Mr. McGee gave him a more responsible position, that of chief watchman at the Edison Company's garage at 1570 East First Street. He and the men under him are responsible for the hundreds of company cars stored there. Ed works with his usual quiet confidence. Then, on the night of November 12th, fire breaks out. Fire engines, chemical cars, and long sleek battle wagons fly screaming through the deserted streets. The red licking demons of flame are feasting on gasoline and will not be subdued. The searing fingers of flame dart from car to car like scenes alive. Los Angeles Puritans sleep and wonder at the sirens and bells, screaming and clanging in the night as the third alarm brings out all the equipment into action. Before the fire is finally subdued, the entire west wing of the huge garage, with all the automobiles it held, has been destroyed. Fire Chief Emmett and Captain Paul T. Wolfe of the Arson Bureau confirm the smoking shell of the ruined wing. Well, Wolf, what's the verdict? Awesome. this fire was set deliberately. How do you know? Look at that wall. See that black, burned street? It leads up to the skylight. Yeah. And the first cars to burn started with the top. Oh, I see what you mean. I'm sure, it's a fence. Someone poured gasoline from that skylight on top of the car. Someone it dripped down the wall there made that seat where it burned. Who did it? Now, that's another question. I haven't had time for much investigation. All hands have been busy getting this thing under control. Ed Spinoza, the fellow in charge here, got some nasty burns. Mm-hmm. Not much left out here, is it, boys? Well, Mr. McGee. we thought you'd gone home. No, I've been trying to make a rough estimate of the damage. Looks as if it'll run about $60,000. <laughs> Not so good. Uh, Mr. McGee, we're we're quite certain that this is a case of arson. More than that, the work of a pyromaniac. Well, what leads you to that conclusion, Captain? Well, when a person sets a fire for profit or revenge or any more or less normal motive, he goes to elaborate plans, time fuses, candles, trading, gunpowder, and all that sort of thing. But he usually leaves a lot of evidence behind. But the pyromaniac just throws gasoline on something and lights it. It's so beautifully simple that it's much harder to catch mm, I see. What about the watchman working here, Mr. McGee? Well, they've both been here a long while, Chief. And they're loyal and dependable. What about Spinoza? He hasn't been here very long. But he was in my personal employ before he came here, and I can vouch for him. He's a good, clean-cut boy. Well, let's get him over here. Oh, uh, Ed. Yes? Come here a minute. Okay. No, gentlemen, I can't believe that any of our boys would do this thing. The company treats its employees well, and the results... Well, is... Oh, we're just wanted to talk to you, man, Dad. Uh, How to burn? Oh, I got some pretty good blisters on my hands and arms, but I doused oil on them. They'll be all right. Well, I'm glad it's no worse. Say, Ed, did, did you or either of your men go up on the roof tonight? No, we never go there. Well, somebody set this fire, Ed. You got any idea who it could be? No, I haven't. Except... Uh, except what? Well... Just a few days ago, I had a fight with a fellow. And he made a lot of threats. Uh-huh. Who was the fellow? I don't know his name. He's short and thick-set and has a beard like... Oh, like a lush. So, well, where does he live? Around the neighborhood, someplace. I don't know just where. Uh, well, uh, did you tell anybody about this fight? Yes. Uh, I told old John, one of the watchmen. Is he around? Sure. Oh, John. Oh, John! Over. Uh, John will back me up. Oh, we don't doubt your word, Ed. It's just sometimes a little detail slips. Uh, you'll walk me? Uh, yes, John. Uh, do you remember Ed telling you about a fight he got into a few days ago? Well, yes. Uh, he said this fellow was a sort of a ruchel. And he made a lot of threats, he thought. Know. Mm. Well, I guess there's not much more we can do here tonight. Let's go home, dear. Well, good night, Mr. McGee. Good night. Uh, good night, Ed. Good night, Captain. <laughs> neighborhood again, thrills to the charging fire engine, as a fire breaks out in the abandoned Big Four depot, used as a shelter by tramps and vagrants. Captain Will visits the scene of the fire and finds no evidence of arson, but he does find someone he knows assisting the firemen in fighting the flames. Well, Ed, didn't you get enough fire and smoke last night?
1: Oh,
0: no, Captain. Well, you see, I heard the rumpus, and I thought I'd help put it out. Oh, I see. Say Ed, have you seen that uh, Russian fellow around that you had the scrap with? Uh, no. Well, be sure to let me know if you hear from him. And Ed Spinoza does hear from the mysterious Russian the very next night, November 14th, and immediately calls his employer. Oh yes it is. Hello. Who? Oh yes, Ed. What's the matter? I see. Well, I wouldn't make too much of it, Ed. Probably just some crank. Uh, have your men keep an extra sharp watch and don't worry. Oh no, I don't mind. You did just the right thing to call me. Good night. What is it, Tom? Ed Spinoza had a threatening call down at the garage. Someone rang up and said, I failed the other night, but tonight... Oh,
1: come, on, you don't
0: think... I it. think that Ed is unduly excited. It is unduly excited. There are a lot of cranks around, you know, of cranks around, you know. If he keeps a sharp watch, nothing will happen. But Ed is not content with merely keeping a sharp watch. He makes another telephone call. This time, to the police station. Hallbeck Police Station. Sergeant Donnelly speaking. Well, what time is this? Well, what do you say? Oh, I see. I'll send some men right over. Say, what's your name? Spinoza? All right, Mr. Spinoza. There'll be no fires tonight. Oh, Johnson? Yes? Uh, take three of the boys, uh and stake out that garage at 1517 East First, where they had that big fire the other night. Someone just rang up there and threatened to burn it again. Bring in any suspicious characters you find loading around.
1: Okay.
0: The officers keep a close watch for hours and see nothing to arouse their suspicions. At 3.40 on the morning of November 15th, they return to the Hollenbeck station. Exactly seven minutes later, at
1: 3.47,
0: fire breaks out in several places in the main wing of the Edison garage. Once again, the roaring, screaming engines speed through the shattered streets with men fleeing to them like insects. One alarm! The main thing of the garage is doomed as hundreds of cars burn. Two alarms! More and more operators. More and more men are poured into each first street to reinforce the gallant little band that is struggling against the crackling, flaring monster. Three alarms! Now the fire engines are guided in their mad rush by the ominous red glare of the flames against the sky. Chief Ennis and Captain Wolf are accompanied by Detective Lieutenant Jack Wooting and George Price of the fire department. The center of the building is completely destroyed before the fire is subdued. It is a bewildered group that gathers in the office to review the situation. Well, boys, about 87000 in damages this time. $147,000 gone up in smoke in two days. It's a loss of some of There'll be more if we don't get to follow the, the it. What about the phone call, I'm just coming to it, you. Uh, what time did you say it came, Ed? A quarter twelve. I know because the alarm clock was right here. Where was well, the Well, you see, Lieutenant Dutty, ever since the fire the other night, I've been sending them back to the alley. One man on each side of the building. They flashed their lights to meet in the alley. Old John here and Mac were back there when the call came. Oh, I should think they would hear a telephone bell ring from there. Uh, how about it, John? Did you hear a phone bell? Well, you know, Captain Wolf, I I did hear a bell ring, but I didn't know for sure it was a telephone. Why not? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, kind of funny. I don't get what you mean, John. Well, uh, it was like a telephone, and then you need not Well, that's a help. Now, let's see it. Uh, which one of these phones did you say the call came on? This one. Oh, you must be mistaken, yes. No, I'm sure, Mr. McGee. Well, why do you think it's mistaken, Mr. McGee? Well, you see, Captain Wolf, this is a private phone for outgoing calls only. So, it couldn't have been this one. <laughs> well, that's the one it came over just the mm-hmm. I've got an idea. Uh, Chief, would you and Mr. McGee and Spinoza step outside just a minute? Jack and I have something to take up with John here. Oh, I I, need John. Nothing's honest. I don't know nothing about now, it. Now, don't get excited. Wait, wait, wait. Stop that door, will you, Jack? <laughs> uh, well, but it's really, Captain. Honest of course, I did. Why, I'll finish. Oh, it's just this, man. I don't want you to listen while I'm in this you. alarm clock. Just wait till I get it set. Yeah, I'll let you. Now. There she is. now. Is that anything like the bell you heard when the call came? Yeah, well, yes, yes, that's kind of legit. Yes. Yes. Come on, Jack. We're going over to the telephone
1: office.
0: Right over here, officer. The operator was quite upset by this time but I know she do all the time to help you. This is a young lady. Mm, how do you do? Uh, we wanted to face a call that was made on the private line into the office of the Edison Company garage. Well, there was only one call there all night. A man called in that phone and wanted to trace a call he said came in there. He seemed mad or excited or something I... And what did you tell him? Well, I just told him there hadn't been any calls. I said he must be mistaken because the line was only for outgoing calls. Well, then. Oh, he said the most terrible things. I couldn't tell you the names he called me and the things he threatened to do. Why, it was awful. I see. Oh, well, thanks very much. Uh, come on, Jack. Let's get back to the garage. I think we've got your man, Mr. McGee. Who? Pinoza. It can't be, Captain. I tell you, that boy... I was, was... sorry, but it looks bad for him. I want you to send him on his round, so we'll as nothing could happen. But why? We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. If he's innocent, okay. If not, he needs just a little more rope to do a first-class job of hanging, sir. All right. Oh, Ed. Yes, Mr. McGee? Uh, you better take your clock and make the rounds on the mezzanine and keep your eyes open. Okay. Maybe I am, Mr. McGee. We'll see. That telephone I call... I know was... it doesn't look good, but... Lots of oh! Help! Help, me! Help, me! Help! Where, Ed? Oh! Ed? Ed, what's happened? What's happened, Ed? Well, hey, come on. Uh, upstairs, boy. Ed, are you
1: hurt? What's happened
0: up there? She's up there. She attacked me. She hit me with a blackjack. See? she jumped out of that closet here. <clears throat> uh, this one here? There, yeah, let's see. Uh... That's about three feet wide and about five feet high. He'd have to be too to go in a pretty camp position, wouldn't he? Yeah, I guess he was. And the floor's all covered up with shoes, too. He shouldn't have been very comfortable. Look, here's where he broke the railing when he threw me against it. And he broke the strap on my time clock. Oh, wasn't he? Like an athlete. Look where he hit me on the head. Right there. See that cut? I feel that bun. I don't see. Why, of course you it, Jack. it's a bad one, too. The one that didn't knock you out, eh? Well, I, I keep in good case. I can take a lot of punishment. Yeah. Where can he escape to? Well, there's only the stairs that Ed came down. There's this pile out it for the roof. That's right. Some of the boys must be up there yet. Well, let's take a look. Now, Mr. McGee, you stay here with Ed and Price. Pete, I'd like you to come off top with Jack and me. Be careful getting off that ladder there. That's it. Now, look, Jack flash your light down here. See? No footprints at all in the sand. Let's see if the boys saw anyone. Hey, boys! Hey, boys! Yeah, something. Oh, hello, Chief. Hello, Captain. Just checking up before we knock off. Have you seen anyone up here in the last few minutes? No, sir. Well, let's see uh, how he could have gotten down and see if he came up with the boys' machine. Well, there's a drain pipe over here. Yeah, let's have a look at it. Ah, uh, here it is. Here, give me that flash. See? There's a mess of telephone wires right down below here. Anyone going down the drain pipe would have to toss them. He'd be bound to stag them and maybe break a few, and they're all in place. You mean it's all the put-up job by Spinoza himself? It looked that way. So where's the proof? Well, did you notice know the steps going up to the mezzanine? There were only two sets of footprints, one going up and one coming down, and both Spinoza's. And the man couldn't help leaving prints with all that scarred junk around here, huh? Yeah, and then in the closet, the floor was covered with shoes, and none of them looked as though they'd been stamped on. That's why I stopped you when I... When you said there was no wound on his head, Jack. But there was no wound. I know. We have to humor him. And after all, there was a broken rail on the strand. We'll go down now and see what happens. Then did you find anything? No. It didn't have gone up there. Then he must still be in the building. It looks that way, doesn't it, dear? You better keep it southwest. Maybe I'd better make the round to the east wing. That's the only one left, isn't it, Ed? Yes, that's the only one left. Oh, give a yell if you run into trouble. I was so what you're going to do, Captain. I, I don't understand. There's no time to explain now, Mr. It McGee. It's either Ed or that Russian, and we've got to find out which one it is. Come on, Jack. We're going to follow him. Where'd he go? I can't see him. Someone behind that port in the middle of there. You don't think yeah, he'd be pretty crazy enough theory. to wait? There goes the room. Let's get in there before you like it. Uh, Captain, Lieutenant, uh, Look what I found. Someone opened the petcock on this car, and there's gas all over the floor. The game's up, Ed. What do you mean? Come on, Ed. What's the use of stalling? We know you did it. Why well, now? Now listen, Captain. Just be logical. Look at these burns. They hurt. I got them fighting these fires. Would I like fires and then go and get burned fighting them now, would I? Yes, Ed, you would. Huh? Come along. Yeah. In three days of constant questioning, Ed Spinoza stoutly maintains his innocence. In spite of the unbroken chain of evidence against him, hour after hour the questioning continued, Without making any seeming headway, then, for no apparent reason... All right, boys. I... I guess we've been at this long enough. I did it. I set the fires. I'd have told you earlier, only that fellow there made me sore when he said he'd seen me in the gallery. I've never been mugged. And his bluffing like that made me think you didn't have anything on me. But why did you set the fires, Ed? Maybe he was good to you. You had a good job. Oh, you wouldn't understand. Me. I think you would, Ed. You couldn't. Unless you were born that way. I'm different from you, fellas. how do you mean? Well, it's something that comes over you gradually. It's like having some crawling thing alive inside of you. The muscles of your stomach get all tight, and then it spreads to your chest, and so you can hardly breathe it. Your face pushes and your throat dry, and you're all tense and jumpy. And it feels like the muscles all over your body are tied up into harden up. You you think you're going to die, unless you can relax. But you can't relax without excitement. You've got to see an accident, or a bloody fight, or best of all, a fire. The only thing about a fire, you watch it burn and crackle, and at the same time you feel as refreshed as though a cool, clear stream of water was pouring over you. You feel all calm and languid. And then you kind of realize what you've done and you want to help put the thing out. But you know you're going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Nothing can stop me from doing it again. Edward Spinoza was committed to the state hospital for the insane at For six weeks, he was a model inmate and caused no trouble. Then one day, another inmate... And see a cruel joke in his warped and distorted mind. The guards are gone. What's that you've been trying to tell me?
1: Uh, they
0: uh, heard been talking about you. What did they say? Uh, they were saying something about a new kind of operation. They were, they were going to try out on you. But... New kind of operation? What do you mean? They did this thing. Rabbits and guinea and dogs sometimes. they have got to try it out on somebody. And you're
1: the guy. Are you sure? Sure, I, I tell you.
0: Say, hey, they can't do that to me. Operation? I'm not a rabbit. I'm not a guinea pig or a dog. I'm that Spinoza, the flying Spinoza. That's who I am. They can't do that to me. I'm going to get out of here. Right this minute. That's what I'm going to do. Let me out of here. Hey, hey, what's going on here? And, Goodness, say when you control yourself. You can't operate on me. I'm not a guinea pig. Let me out of here. Oh, listen. Nobody's going to operate. Oh, get out of my way. Oh, listen, Ed. You're all wrong. I'll kill you, sir. Come on. Rabbit. Hold your around. Now, come on, Ed. Listen to us. There's no rabbit. Let me out of here. Who told you anything about an operation? Uh, I was only fooling you. Go get a rabbit's here operation. Get a rabbit. Find am for no i here. You can't do this to me. Get here. You can't do this me. Edward Spinoza became so violent as a result of the cruel, insane jest that it was necessary to stop him to a bed in a barred cell. In the morning, he was gone. With his tremendous natural strength, augmented by the superhuman strength of the maniac, he had not only burst the straps which held him, but had tied the bars of the window apart. He has never been found or heard of since. Unless he has died in the intervening ten years, he remains a constant and deadly menace to society. One regards the pyromaniac with pity. The diseased mind is not responsible for its impulses and actions. But one must also bear in mind that the pyromaniac presents a dire, dreadful threat to both life and property. It is necessary for all law enforcement officers, as a part of their duty, to keep a constant surveillance over all persons, both adults and juveniles, known to have tendencies to set fires. As a result of this watchfulness, this community is now practically free of this menace. We would like to say in closing that most of the names used in these broadcasts are fictitious, although the cases are accurate in all essential details. Ladies and gentlemen, are you getting all the efficiency and power from your car that the manufacturer intended you to get? Modern motors are built to give you quick getaways, surging power, instant start. But they cannot deliver these advantages with inferior gasoline. Why not test your car? You'll quickly find out what it can do if you try a tank full of Rio Grande cracked gasoline, with tetra auto. This great motor fuel will bring out the best in an automobile. It has proved its ability by powering more police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and motorcycles operated by cities and counties in Southern California and Arizona than all other brands combined. If you want to know the truth about your car, Rio Grande Cracks with Tetra Ethel will tell you whether you need repairs or a change in gasoline. And remember, Rio Grande Cracks with Tetra Ethel costs no more. Next Wednesday at the same time, Keith Davis will bring you another authentic dramatization from the files of the Los Angeles Police Department. Tell your friends about the sensational broadcast. Presented by Rio Grande, not only for your interest and in pleasure, but also as a contribution in the interest of public safety. ...and crime
1: prevention.
0: My calling all cars. Attention all cars. Cancellate later broadcast 18 regarding a pyromaniac. Suspect delivered to a Psychopathic Hospital. <coughs> That's all for old Jesus.